0: never failing, let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of Savior. Save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen king. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. say he is mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave dear lord we just come to you today lord and we just thank you for being in your house lord and um and with your people, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that we can put our week, our work week aside, Lord, and concentrate on what you say to us, Lord. And that we just open our hearts and our minds to you, Lord, and that we can just praise and worship you, Lord. Um, so we ask this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone.
1: Good morning, Lord. Welcome uh, to worshiping the Lord. Uh, uh, I've been away for a week, and I just love coming back and worshiping here with everyone. It's 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 a joy. I just have a few announcements to make. First of all, we have prayer tonight at seven o'clock, and we have an extremely uh, important month ahead of us—July, getting ready for VBS and uh, Jubilee Day—and and, and uh, just to encourage you to come out and praise. Corporate prayer it's so important together. Uh the uh, Capital Area Pre- Pregnancy Center. We have a, they have a, a newborn blanket gathering on Tuesday night at seven. And uh, the midweek study we will not be having this week because of the Fourth of July and people traveling. And so, um, it, so just uh, enjoy spending time with family. And um, there's a teen event on uh, on Saturday at Pastor's house. So the teens are going to have a a nice time, uh, a pool party of pastors, and just an enjoyable fellowship. And VBS is coming up. This is a very important month. Uh, please check out the uh, sign-up sheet if you haven't uh, signed up for an area. If, please ask me if you have any questions or, or an area you would like to help. Um, we we also have the, uh, a weekday prayer time coming up uh, July 10th at 10 o'clock in the morning. So if you're off or just... Uh, you're on vacation or just have a day off, and you want to stop in and pray for that, that that'd be great. It's 10 a.m. Uh, VBS teachers and helpers, uh, we have a meeting uh, right after the service today. Uh, Please meet upstairs at, at the uh, teen room. And uh, Thursday, we start going door to door. So, what we, we have a thousand homes we're, we're going to visit, and it's such an enjoyable time. We've been praying for the people, especially out back and all around us. Uh, for months, and now we get to go and knock on the doors and meet them and just uh, introduce ourselves and what we're about and invite them to the VBS and invite them to Jubilee Day. So, uh, we're going to be going out in teams. So, if, if, if this is something uh, you would like to do, we're going to be doing it Thursdays and Saturdays for a while. So, please, please come out. And, um, the women's study will be on the second Saturday of the month, the 14th, uh, studying Rahab, and the uh, men's breakfast will be on July 21st in the book of Nehemiah. And I'd just like to take a minute to, to pray for the, the offering today. Oh Lord, uh, we're so blessed to come under your word today and just learn from you, Lord. And I, I just I uh, Give a prayer of thankful, uh, just thankfulness that, uh, Lord, the gifts that are received today will be used for your your glory and your work. Thank you, Lord, In Jesus name.
0: You can stand for the first song and then please sit or stand as you feel led. say that you're my God, you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me, King of all days, oh so highly exalted. became poor so here i am to worship here i am to bow down here i am to say that you're my god you're altogether lovely altogether worthy altogether wonderful too Say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together. Full, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed, blessed be your name, and blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name. it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, on the road marked with suffering, the pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you stay the name. Father God, we just um, we just love you, Lord. You are so good and so kind and so loving, and you just bless us all the time with so much goodness. And we just, Lord, we want to learn from you today. God, we just ask that you would speak through Pastor Matt, Lord, and that we would hear <laughs> all that you have for us, open our hearts and clear all the distractions. And, and Lord, just um, bless this day. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to finish off in Exodus chapter 19. Or, sorry, Acts chapter 19. Yeah, I'll get that right. I'm looking for my glasses, so I'm going, Exodus. That's why I'm asking for Exodus. Um, You know what? Let's pray. We're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us all here this morning, God. We thank you that, uh, Lord, it's your spirit. It's you, Lord, that does the teaching here. God, I pray that I would get out of the way, Lord. I pray that um, you just even made that possible here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for that. I know there is no coincidences. And, Lord, there's a reason you guide and lead in all things. And, God, we are so grateful for that, Lord Jesus. As we read and continue reading about Paul's third missionary journey, Lord the very living Word of God we have the privilege opening, Lord, here and learning from. God, I pray this morning you would meet each and every one of us where we are. Lord, just show us. Let these words leap off this page and into our hearts, Lord. That it would change our minds and our hearts and wash us and cleanse us as we come out of a world, Lord, infected with pride. But God, you've told us that we have victory over it all through your son, Jesus Christ. Just the way you work is so beautiful and wonderful. Even the stretching, Lord, like a rubber band, even the stretching is wonderful. We count it all a joy here this morning, Lord. Thank you for bringing us in together in the unity of you alone, Jesus. We pray all this in your name, almighty God. Amen. All right, so we are now in Acts chapter nineteen, and not Exodus. Forgive me, pardon me for that. We're going to be looking at verses thirty-five through forty-one this morning. We're going to finish that off and jump right into chapter twenty, and we'll be continuing on as we look at this. Uh, just a little quick recap: is we've been looking in, in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus. He had longed to go to Asia, the continent of Asia. He'd longed to go over to Ephesus and be there. And as God brought him in, he. He did a miraculous work in Ephesus. He was there for three years, long as he was at any one single church plant uh, in his ministry that way. And while he was in Ephesus, it was amazing. The first thing he did is he went out and he realized there were others in that city also, right, that had been doing the work of the Lord. And and so we knew that in the book of Acts that more is going on than all we just see on these pages. There was a lot God was inspiring, and a lot God was doing. And as he was going through, we saw that there was these miracles that really hadn't been seen before. I mean, as a matter of fact, we were told in the language they were unusual miracles in the Greek, right? Paul's sweatband or his apron. Remember, he was a leather maker, a tent maker. And he would take those and they were being brought to people and people were being healed, supernaturally healed. Our God still does healing today, doesn't he? He's a worker of miracles. Now, sometimes the answer is wait, maybe or no, but God is always in the business of healing. And it's it's our desire to come to him and ask, Lord Jesus... We should never give up asking. And so he moves forward and we see that there's these men, these Jewish exorcists that, that had come and they had been watching the miraculous work of Paul. They saw all the things that God was doing through Paul. They knew it wasn't Paul himself, but they said, the Jesus of Paul. Well, that's many people in the world say, well, the Jesus of Nazareth, or the Jesus of the... But is he my Jesus? Is he your Jesus? A relationship. And as we see what happened, they went out and they, they were confident and they, they had their you know, pattern and formula because Ephesus was superstitious, very superstitious. They had their pattern, their formulas. He would go out and these Jewish exorcists went out and saw this man that was, was uh, demon possessed. And they went up to him and they said, by the name of who? Of Jesus, of who? Of Paul, not my Jesus, come out. And what happened? They leaped on him. The seven sons of Sceva, right, they leaped on him. And and it it opened our eyes to the fact that spiritual warfare is real, isn't it? Uh, And is it it any coincidence that the very place this happens is the very place that Paul, the apostle, later on writes an epistle to the Ephesian church in a chapter 6 and says, hey, be aware there's principalities and powers. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, right? And he tells us what? Put on your armor. Because he had seen right before his very eyes what happens when someone walks in their strength without the armor of God. No victory can come through that. But we knew when we put on Jesus, when we put on the helmet of salvation, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace shot with peace leading us, right? Our sword, the word of God. He says we'll have victory. And and he also told us to do what? He said stand. He says stand like that. I love that about our Lord. Well, that had all happened. And then there's this riot breaks out. And as this riot breaks out, can you, you know, I'm not surprised. You're probably not surprised because whenever we see the hand of God moving, we know that the devil doesn't sit idle. He's not going, well, all right, you know, I lost Ephesus. I'm going to check in. No, or check out, should I say. No, what's he do? He says, no, you know, I'm going to double down my efforts there. And he moves through a man, Demetrius. Now, this man had no problem with Paul specifically before this point. It's not as Paul went up to the silversmith and said, hey, um, you know what? All this that you're doing, yeah, it's idol worship. Yeah, it's terrible. We're going to shut you down. Paul wasn't even interested in that. You know what Paul's message was? The gospel and the gospel alone of Jesus Christ. And when you preach the word of God, when you teach the word of God, it does something in the hearts of the believer. It transforms them. They begin to see a transformation that happens. And so Paul watched these people. And their natural instinct was to no longer follow these pagan gods. To no longer go and buy these gods made with man's hands. Now Demetrius, he turns around and he says, wait a minute. Don't you guys see what he's doing? This Paul, not only has he done it in Ephesus, but he's done it in all of Asia. How powerful is the word of God? The Bible says it. it doesn't return what? void. There is power in this word. As we even speak of it this morning, it goes into our hearts and there's power. It's breaking strongholds. It's setting us free. And God has given us that ability that when he seals it in our heart and we open our mouths in his timing, he begins to set other hearts, other minds, other people free from his word. Nothing but his word. Because if you can persuade someone to salvation, somebody else can persuade them away from salvation. But when the word of God moves and it transforms the heart, no one, nothing can ever take them out of the hand of Jesus Christ. That's what he's told us. Paul knew that. Paul understood that. And so as we see here, you know, there was this major movement that God had done in Ephesus. And Demetrius was, he says, no, this isn't going to happen. It's affecting us economically. And so they turn around and says, you know what? We're going to create a riot. And they began to riot like that. And, you know, great is Diana of the Ephesians, you know, this goddess in the temple. And that brings us really to where we're at this point. There's a chaos going on. Even the Jewish leaders at that point, they had risen up and said, you know what, this is a great, this guy by the name of Alexander, the book of Acts tells us, he stands up and says, you know what, this is a great time for me to step in. I can persuade them to, to Judaism. I can persuade them this way and, and maybe I can step in and help. But they didn't want anything to do with that. They didn't want religion They didn't know exactly what they wanted. But we know, don't we? What did they want? Relationship. Relationship with the living God. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we continue in verse 35. So please look there with me. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesian is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. He says it right there. They, they didn't attack your goddess that way, your false pagan god. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsul judges. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now... It's important to understand who is this man, this city clerk. He's, he's equivocal, to, equivocal of what we would say maybe a mayor of the city, mayor of the city at that time. Now, what he did here is he spoke sensible words, didn't he? Dr. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote this down. He was inspired. He wanted us to understand what was he communicating here. Luke is showing us that rational people, notice I said rational, rational people saw nothing to fear from the Christians. And I say this, this is on the web, this is being recorded, this is on the radio. I want people here this morning, not only here, but all, all throughout the airwaves, the you know, video waves, the, however you put it out there. I want people to understand, there is nothing to fear from Christ. There is nothing to fear from Christians that way. There's nothing to oppose. All we want to do is give them the joy and love that we have experienced through the son of God with a personal relationship and how he has redeemed us and transformed us. And all we want them to do is just understand and receive that so they too can be set free. Amen? That, that's all we want. We're, we're, not, we're not terrorists. We're not going out and beheading people because they don't accept Messiah. No, no. We work in agape love. That's our language we communicate in. That's the compassion of Jesus. It was the fullness of his truth and the fullness of his agape love. Not one without the other. You can't have one without the other. Because if you proceed with the truth, you're Bible thumping without compassion. If you don't have compassion, you're a legalist. And God says no. Well, now as we move into chapter 20 here, Paul's going to say farewell to the Ephesian elders, really, if I had to say, you know, thematically, that's the embracing of what this whole chapter is about. He moves into this region of Macedonia. And again, as we pick up in verse 1 there, from Ephesus, he's going to travel to Macedonia. Let's let's read it together. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia like that. So uh, apparently, from what we're reading, just from verse 41 into chapter 20, verse 1, The writing in Ephesus that we read in Acts 19 somehow convinced Paul it was time to move on. And he decided he was going to go westward across the Aegean Sea like that, right? To Macedonia, which would be modern day Greece, right? And what he did is he called the disciples to himself. He embraced them. So this is the church, the flock, He called them all together. Why am I bringing this up? Because Paul later on is going to come back through Ephesus, even on his third missionary journey, a few verses and passages, you know, from now. And he's only going to call the leaders specifically of that church. But before Paul, the pastor, the under shepherd could leave, he needed to embrace. He loved them. He laid down his life. We're going to read that in a little bit. It's, it's some of the, most beautiful uh, passages we have. We have so much on Paul the evangelist, Paul the disciple maker. But in chapter 20, we see Paul the pastor, a shepherd's heart. You know, I I encourage you as we, we go through this, take notes. If you're visiting today, if this isn't your home church, and you go back, this is what it needs to look like. If you're here and you feel like the Lord has a calling on your life for ministry, this is the grid that you run it against to verify what's true and what's real and honest. Well, he calls them together, and he wouldn't leave his brothers and sisters like that without letting them know how much he loved them. The beginning of everything Paul did and the end of everything Paul did began and ended with the bookends of a love, of love. And again, as I mentioned, he spent the most time of anywhere in Ephesus like that. Now, when he had gone over the region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed there three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so Peter and Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Sangundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and Tigus, and Trophius of Asia. These men were going ahead and waited for us At Troas. So when the Jews plotted against him here, right, he decides he's going to sail to Syria from Greece. Paul had planned to take this long journey, as we just read in verse 3 there. He planned to take it on foot, didn't he? Right? He was going to go back, but he wanted to sail originally to Syria, which is Syrian Antioch, his home church, where he had been sent out of, right? But because of some of the plotting of these anti-Christian Jews, He decided to take more of an overland route, you might say, back through Macedonia, accompanied by several of his companions. As we just read about these men here, uh, what we can learn about them, even in their names, there's much to be said. These companions were probably, we believe, scholars believe, from other churches that had sent support. Remember, Paul was making his way to where? Jerusalem, because he had been given an offering, and he was going to the church at Jerusalem to give that offering to that church. So as he was making his way, others had sent ambassadors or other uh, men who had also financially or lovingly wanting to give accompanied Paul on that journey back to Jerusalem. That's where they thought they were going. These men were sent by their churches, their home churches, to support Paul in his journey back to Jerusalem. And there's a few things we can learn from their names. If you look at Aristocras, right, Aristarchus, his name was connected with what? aristocracy it means the ruling class so he obviously came from a powerful or or some type of wealthy family like that sungundus right or secundus it was a common name for a slave it typically meant second whereas typically uh in families where they had slaves they wouldn't give them a name you know matt peter john they would call them secundus or second compared to the first that would have been called primus that's how they had handled it in the context of that time. So the second-ranking slave was called Secundus like that. So we notice and we learn something. This would have been a man that was very poor. He didn't have financial ability. Now, what I love about this is look at the cohort cohort that way that God has brought around Paul. He's brought around those that are extremely wealthy. He's brought around those that have nothing to give that way. And what did Jesus Christ do? He brought unity he brought them together there was nothing anymore no economics no racial nothing that could cause division God is not the author of division God is the author of unity the devil is the author of division he finds different things to point out in the individual life differences you might say and say look at this difference look at that difference No, we all got off the boat together. If you believe the Bible and you understand Genesis chapter 6 and you believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, Noah and his three sons got off that boat with their three wives. And the entire earth was repopulated from that. What does that mean for you and I? We have one bloodline. Why are we spending so much time creating division? And I'm not saying you do, but there are many in the world that do. They create division, they look at differences. You know, my family, my wife, many of you know she's she's Portuguese, Spanish, she's you know, Cuban, she's got Italian, you know, I have got Dutch, I've got what does any of that matter? I love Jesus, she loves Jesus, and together we're Jesus freaks. Amen? Amen. That's it. Why are we creating division? God is a God of unity. Look at it through your word. He doesn't do that. He's a God of unity. Sorry, I'm so passionate about that. It's just I see it as a a tool the devil's wielding today, and he's convincing men and women to find reasons to divide. We need need to cast that out. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Well, so these men, again, you know, he brings unity. So they're going to go to Troas, which is in the region of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey that way, right? Let's look at verse 6. And it says, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we, circle that we, that's different. We haven't seen that we in a number of chapters where we stayed seven days. Who's we? Dr. Luke, where has Luke been? Do you remember with me back in um, Acts chapter 16, verse 40? Luke was left back in Philippi. Remember the Philippian jailer? Luke was left back there, and Paul and his band of brothers continued on, right? Timothy went, left in Ephesus. We saw different people, you know, as God raised up these men, they would be left to oversee the church plants that were going on that way. And so what happened is as, as Paul's sailing back, he's coming back, he comes to Philippi, and who does he pick up? He picks up Luke. He says, come on, Luke, we're going to continue going, right? So he's got the band of brothers back together again, right? Let's look at verse 7. He says, now on the first day of the week, the Am Shoroshan in the Hebrew, right? Very important. Circle that whole thing, the first day of the week. Why do we come to church on a Sunday instead of Saturday? In the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, even in the Hebrew language, if you look at the, the LXX or the, the Vulgate that where the Latin translation through the whole Bible, which can be Greek, right? The LXX takes the, all 66 books and it brings Greek across all of them, right? If we go back low to the Hebrew, Yom Rishan meant the first day in the Hebrew calendar. And what day is that speaking to? This is how we know that the early Christian church began to believe and have worship on Sunday. Because it says right here, and if you go look at the Hebrew translation for this, the first day is Yom Rishon of the week. Now, we learned something interesting, though, because it says, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them, and they continued the message until midnight. So that's interesting. Why would they have been meeting at in the evening instead of the day? because saturday was a day of for the hebrews typically was a day it's shabbat it's a day of what rest, rest. sunday's a day of work right for 6 days they work and on the 7th day they rest genesis right so we look here and now we understand so they actually met in the evening the early church originally in this particular area met in the evening And this is, I guess, an example, uh, a confirmed example of the practice that they gather together as believers. In verse seven, it says they spoke to them and continued his mention until midnight, as I just read. I mean, Paul must have sensed a heaviness that way to preach for a long time because. He was ready to part the next day. He says he was, mo- he was moving on. He was ready to go. God and the Holy Spirit had places for Paul to go, but there was a heaviness, and he knew he might never see this group of Christians again. So he preached some six hours to them. Now, what's amazing to that is that if I kept you here, now, not all of you, so forgive me if I don't, I don't want to talk, but if I kept most of you here more than two hours today, You'd start wiggling, right? Because certain parts of the body would fall asleep, right? And you'd be like, hi, oh, pastor. You know, some of you are going, what's new? He does that all? No. Some of you, but you'd be, you'd be sitting there going, come on, man. I got, you know, what's on today? We got the FIFA Cup. What's, what's happening today, right? If you're a soccer fan or a football, right? What's going on? Do you know my brother, a good friend of mine, Pastor Ted? Some of you know Pastor Ted. He goes over to China at least two or three times a year. And we support him. We love him. We pray for him here at this fellowship. When he goes over to China... He'll go into, and some of you know this story, I've told you. He goes and gets picked up at a subway, more or less a railroad, railway area. He doesn't know where he's going. He's not told that information. He has his Bible. He has some water with him. He has a pack. And he basically sits there. And somebody will come along, because it's an underground church, and you know it's not allowed to be practiced in China that way. Somebody will come up and tap him on the shoulder, grab him by the sort of the shoulder, and they will lead him out. They bring him out to a, an unmarked vehicle. He gets into that vehicle, and he's sometimes escorted as long as I think he said he's been four hours by road. Sometimes it's an hour. It depends. He doesn't know, not sure where he's going. He arrives at the place, very agricultural, farming, a lot of farming land. He gets there. They go down into what literally they call it an underground church for a reason. They goes down into a, sort of a cellar area there like a root cellar, if you know what that is. He goes down. They got a 60-watt light bulb, one 60-watt light bulb. They work all day, the Chinese, the farming communities, all day, you know, cultivating, doing all that. They come in at 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. Their families and children will join them, and he begins to teach. And he'll, the first, you know what book he starts teaching with? the book of Acts, the very book we're in. He begins to open up Acts and he starts reading to them and there's a translator there and they're translating right. He's, he says, you know, when he first, the first time he did this, he went over there a couple hours later, he's like, woo, you know, we got to chapter five or six. He's like, man, you know, all right, you know, they, I'm glad you guys came out. Praise the Lord. I'll see you guys tomorrow. You know, okay. They're like, you ain't going nowhere. He was shocked. He says, no, really. He says, they kept me there all night. And he said, and praise Jesus for it. He says, we kept going. We finished the book of Acts in two days. They stayed all night. They went to work all day again. And then they come back in because if they get discovered, they're going to be killed, martyred. I don't know what else to say, but they're so hungry for the word. There are more Chinese coming to salvation that, that, that are, most people are aware of. That are even being reported. He tells me when he goes there, how many hundreds are coming to salvation, and they come into these little, these little underground areas. What a privilege it is we have the word of God that we can assemble together. That's why in the book of Hebrews it says, do not forsake the assembly and the gathering of the brethren. Right? So, they, so I mean, I, I watch as Pastor Ted, as he tells me, he's invited me to go with him sometime. I'm praying, maybe I will go with him. Just to see and experience, to have the privilege to teach that way and just keep going. I mean, many of us at the end of service, we don't want to get up, do we? We have a hunger. I, sometimes I hear once in a while, "Ah, oh, it's over. Some of you are going, hey, but a lot of you are going, oh, right? It's over. Well, it's amazing. He didn't, he didn't take, you know, he really didn't take a break like that. And we read about this certain man named Judas, and, I, and I'll read again as I, as I started reading that there were many lamps in the upper room and where they all had gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep, and he was overwhelmed by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and fell on him, embracing him, said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, he had broken bread and eaten and talked all or a long while, even till daybreak. And he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. So we read again on the first day of the week, Yom Roshan, when the disciples came together, they broke bread, Paul ready to part the next day, spoke to them, and they continued his message till midnight. And what were they teaching? What was Paul being faithful to do? Open the word of God, and he was going line by line, verse by verse, through the Old Testament. And he was teaching about Jesus Christ, and they couldn't get enough of it. Now this poor man Eutychus, right? He's he, He's sitting on this windowsill. I imagine it's the it's towards the evening, seven o'clock, six o'clock, like that is when it started. Again, he goes to midnight. It's about six hours. It's pretty much the hot, you know, not the hottest point of the day, but it's certainly a warm part of the day. This is the Middle East, you know, in that area. And he's turning and he's leaning back and he's listening to the word, like some of us do here. And what happens? We find peace. You know, our guard's able to come down a little bit, right? We're in church. We're okay. We're listening. can rest we begin to experience that rest the calmness in our spirit everything the lord is praising his name he's giving us his word god is doing something very unique and special in our hearts and we begin to sort of lean back right well you just did the same thing except when he leaned back it wasn't into a chair boom falls out right goes all the way down you can imagine this got paul's attention right and I just praise God as I think about it that, you know, while many of you may fall asleep, at least I've had no one fall asleep and die. So praise God for that. And I, I was praying, Lord, as I was going through this, I was like, Lord, I know you like to teach the pastor many times, things that are going to happen before you give it to the people. I'm like, please, Lord, don't let anybody die during service like that because they fall asleep or fall out of their chair. Please, God, you know. <laughs> yeah, all the things God brings to my mind. So... Um, I pray to God he keeps it that way. Obviously Paul stops preaching verse 10. He says, "Don't trouble yourselves. His life is in him," right? Paul again received the gift of what? The Holy Spirit through faith, and it was faith that and discernment that he sensed that God was raised this young man from the dead. And what did God do? The very thing his spirit testified that he would do. So Paul does what afterwards? I love this. He said, "Taked," or excuse me, he talked a long while, even till daybreak. What did Paul do afterwards? he went back to teaching the word. So he stops, he goes down, he helps this man up. Okay, you're good, get him some water, the Lord does a miracle. He says, all right, come on. Everybody's like, let's have at it. And they went right back into the word of God. That tells you something. Then amidst the greatest what you might say, oh my, this would certainly, I mean, certainly break up a a prayer meeting, a, a, a gathering of the saints that way. But when the word of God is going forward, People are hungry. They want that truth. They're coming out of of all that nonsense and they want to come into a place where they're going to hear the word of God. And, And they said, Paul, get back at it. And I love how it says, and they were comforted, right? Were not a little comforted. They had no doubt the presence of Jesus Christ was there. They had no doubt the presence of the Holy Spirit was there. Who else would be there It's the reading of the word of God. Who else is going to come but his spirit? You know, that's why often I don't pray, Lord Jesus, send your Holy Spirit here. He's here. It's his word. He's anointed it. He's going to bring it forward. I don't need to ask him, invite him to his own prayer meeting. He's inviting us. Right? We come. He doesn't come. He's here. He's authored it. The fellowship was blessed. They were awake being comforted by the presence of God around them through the Holy Spirit, the same way that he comforts you and I today. Are we not comforted when we hear the truth of the word? Are we not, does it not settle us and ground us? Does it not wash our mind? I thank Jesus for that. Well, let's look at verses 13 through 17. He says, then when he went ahead, then we went ahead, again, Luke, we, to the ship and sailed to Assos." They're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. That's 30 miles, a two day journey. But there's a good reason he had intended to do that. I believe the Spirit had God had given him sort of that calling, because where's he going? And we're going to read further down that in verse 23, he knows that the Holy Spirit has already given him revelation and testified that he's going to be in what? Chains and tribulations. Paul didn't have all the details, but he knew what had laid ahead of him. He knew that suffering was coming. He knew. He had already been suffering, for that matter, for the sake, name, namesake of Jesus Christ. But he knew things were going to heat up. And what did Paul do? Well, he listened to the disciples. And it says, and when he met us at Esos, we took him on board and came to Miletine or Midiline. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite to Chios, or Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trigilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. Now this, this is important for us people read this and they're like, what, Paul, what? For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have spent time in Asia for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Remember I already mentioned, Paul had already said farewell to that church, to the church plant, right? To the, But he's gonna be calling the elders. In verse 17, we're going to see that he's going to, he's going to turn around and call the elders of that church back to him. And I, I just point that out because I think many times people think, well, Paul, what do you mean you're not going to go back and encourage that body? He had said goodbye to that body. He knew that would probably be the last time, but God had something else that he needed to give to those leaders, to those elders of that church. And God was going to speak and minister to them. And Paul is going to open his heart in this section uh, really, verses 17, it, it's one of the most precious places in the Bible to understand the calling of an under-shepherd, the calling of a pastor. It's different than a teacher. One who teaches is one that opens the word and teaches line by line. That, that's a beautiful thing. You, you know, in seminaries, we need teachers, real teachers of the word. But a pastor is not the same thing as a teacher. Ephesians 4 tells us that. A pastor has a love for the flock. He's called to it. The Lord has knitted his heart to the people and the people to his heart. He can't breathe. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said, Woe if I do not preach and teach the word of God. Woe if I do not do that to the people you've given me, Lord. To the flock here, I, I can't, I understand Paul's heart. If you have a calling on your life and the, the Lord is showing you this, it, it's, a, it's a calling to the people. You, you don't go home at the end of the day, and, and after ministry, being in the church, and people coming in and sharing their hearts about struggles and life and things that are going on. In life, you don't go home and just sit with your family and your wife and go, Well, how was your day, dear? You go home and you cry and you pray. Sometimes you go home and you raise your hands and, and praise God. You should do that all the time through it because God is leading even though right now it looks like things are a mess sometimes. But a pastor never lays it down. Nor should he. That's not his calling. That's why in Zechariah it tells us that eventually there'll come a time. There'll come a time where pastors will leave the people. They will go for their filthy gain of Luke or gold, money, whatever's can, you know, calling them that way of this earth, mammon, and they'll forsake the people because it'll be about them. We're living in those days already, friends, and it breaks my heart. I mean, really breaks my heart. But God has told all of us, maybe there's some in here that are called to the ministry full time. Maybe God is doing that work in your heart. Praise God, don't ignore it. If he's put that call, don't run away from it. And for others, you're all called to be disciples of Christ. He's given you a love for each other. Others focus. You don't have to be in full-time ministry for that. Jesus said, how do you know, right? You love those who love me, and keep my commandments and statute. The greatest, taking another thing, Jesus said, what is the greatest of all the law that you have? You know, all this hangs on the law and prophets. What did Jesus say? The vertical, the love of God for your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then what? The horizontal. And will you love each other that way as you love yourself and or die to yourself that way for another? That's real discipleship, friends. That's what the Bible teaches. That's, that's what you and I believe as born-again believers in Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to, to, to do, to live out. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's not. I'm standing here openly. Admitting, it's not easy. God never said it would be. He just said he would strengthen us he would finish the race, and that he would allow us to do it all through him, through Christ who strengthens us. That's all he he ever promised about that. He didn't say it was going to be easy. Well, we see here that apparently he preferred to take the boat, you know, but originally he wanted to take this 30-mile walk. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, boy, what a great time of meditation or reflection this would have been for Paul. Sometimes when the Spirit nudges you to do something, even though it looks like it's the long way around, pause and wait on God. I believe if Paul would have taken that time, you know, because it's not that Paul didn't have fear. I mean, you can turn back to look at verses chapter 18, verse 9. Do not be afraid, but speak. If God is speaking to Paul's heart that way, what's Paul have? Fear. Was there not intrepidation? Is there anybody standing here this morning, honestly, saying that you don't have any fear to live out your life as a Christian? You'd be lying. We all do. We need to be real about it. But we can't live in a state of fear because fear is the exact opposite of faith. We got to walk out and live in faith. And sometimes, most of the time, God doesn't always give us the details of the tribulation or trial. He gives us a little bit. And when we step in that, then he shows us, or he reveals more and more. So, I believe this, you know, this is this prayer walk, I'll call it. We just did it last week. Marilyn gathered some of you, some of you came out, and we, we walked around this neighborhood, and you began to pray for the saints for vacation Bible school, for the Saturday when the adults in the community will come out, and we're inviting them here, and we're going to love on them the way Jesus wants us to love on them. No strings attached. Real love, real agape love. You know? I think this time of solitude would have been good for Paul. You know, it reminds me of what Jesus said, right? When when he says, hey, there's persecution that's coming like that, but maybe maybe Paul stayed to the last possible moment because maybe he was seen to Eutychus. Maybe, you know, when he fell out of the wet. maybe he was making sure there was a complete, you know, he was conscious completely. Everything was good there. And then maybe he would figure, well, I'll take the shortcut by land to Asos, right? But... Instead of taking that shortcut by land, he, he says, you know what, if I can stay a little longer and make sure my brother's restored, then I'll take the ship. Maybe, maybe that was what moved Paul. We don't know. We'll have to wait till heaven to ask him. But something caused him. In verse 15 and 16, look in your Bibles. It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. And verse 17 says, he called for the elders of the church, but decided to sail past it. Paul knew he couldn't make a brief visit here to Ephesus, Right? But he still wanted to pour out his heart to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, right? He called them for a special meeting. You know, and I don't believe for one second, as I've heard some try to teach this, that, you know, he was trying to slight the church or he knew God had something. No, that's not Paul. If you read the Bible and you read Paul's life, that's not Paul. He he was a pastor with a true heart for the people. Paul knew that he couldn't just visit. He had already said goodbye, but he knew God had given him something. And he also knew he was trying to say, well, gosh, I'm in a hurry. i got to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So he's kind of going between the two of those. Let's look at verse 18. Well, let me back up to 17. For Melodos, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, circle that in your Bibles. It's important. You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all, underline that, humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept nothing back, or how I, excuse me, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards Christ, or excuse me, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you know, right? Paul, what's he do here? He first calls attention to himself actually, doesn't he? But it's, he calls attention to himself to say as an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. You know, Paul didn't act like some type of uh, uh, religious celebrity, like, you know, someone that should be honored or served. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't act like a pope where somebody should kiss a ring. He was humble. He walked in humility. He wanted all honor and glory to go to the living God. And I, and I didn't mean to, to knock the pope. I'm, not, I'm just saying, I'm trying to use something that you all would understand. He didn't put himself in a position that way where people would worship him. He wanted all worship to go to the living God. It's beautiful. I mean, what a pure heart. Are you with me? What a pure heart. Isn't that the heart you want? I know that's a heart I want after Jesus to live that way. And what Paul did is he drew people not unto himself actually, but unto Jesus. He says, that's the example there. And I love what he wrote there. He said, serving the Lord with all humility, you know, And then in verse 19 and 20, what's Paul do? He remembers, he recounts, right? All that he suffered before them for Christ. Seeing that they were watching his tribulations, watching his suffering. And he stayed the course. People are watching your life. Your life is a living testimony. People are watching you every day. What you say, what you do, what you laugh at. Even when you're going through difficulties, especially when you're going through difficulties, Not that you have to fake it and always act like you have it together. Don't do that. Because then they think, well, boy, you know, they're holier than thou. I'll never, I don't want to serve a God like that. My God wept. My Jesus wept. My Jesus said that when somebody around you is hurting, you come and you hurt with them. When they're in joy, you come and be joyful with them. That's what my God said. That's what your God said if you're a born-again believer in Christ. That's Paul's heart here. He wanted them to see, you know, hey, with the suffering, everything. But he also wanted to encourage them. I didn't hold anything back, he said to them. He says, your leaders, your your leaders of this church, maybe some of you are supervisors in here. Maybe some of you have been given a position of authority in here. Maybe, Maybe not in ministry, but maybe at your workplace. Maybe you run a business. Maybe you have something, and you're in a position of authority. How are you handling the authority God's given you? God's placed you there. You didn't place yourself there. God placed you there for influence. And what are you doing with that? Are, are you living it out as Christ? Are you, are you is that the, is, let's put it this way, is that the aim? I understand we, we all fall short of the glory of God, but is that the aim? Is that what we're after? Paul held nothing back that was helpful. Paul was an, an obedient under shepherd. Again, guys that are looking to serve in ministry, this is what it looks like. Everybody wants to step out. Oh, I, I I want to teach the Bible, Pastor. They think what I. They think when they see this up here, they think this hour. You know, it's just like twenty percent of what you do as an under shepherd. And and guys that step out like that, that that don't know that, and they they step out and they, they they boy, Pastor, I had I did it to my pastor. I had no idea. How could I have known? Well, he said, Paul preached it. Didn't you listen? Didn't you read? And yes, yeah, bad. But until you, oh my, I had no idea. He held nothing back. He was, it was true self-denial. I mean, this is what we see here, a surrendered heart to Jesus. And he was willing to walk it out. He wasn't just, you know, the audio and video match. He wasn't just talking about it. This is a guy that lived it out. And I I would say to you, and and even if if you're not called into ministry like that, you're all disciples if you're born again believers. This is what it looks like for you and I. Christ set the bar pretty high, didn't he? And through his strength, we can live it out. And, And Lord, we pray, you know, one day when we stand before you, don't we want to hear, brothers and sisters, well done, good and faithful servant? Not that we don't blow it. We all blow it. Don't we blow it? We blow it. But but when we stand before our Father, when we stand before Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and we look at Him, we want to know we've given it all. We've run the race. We didn't hold anything back. And that's what Paul's communicating to these elders. He's saying, Guys, he says, I- I've lived it out the best I can. I've lived it out for Christ. I've suffered. I, I-, I understood. And even when I didn't understand, I stayed the course. I, ne- I didn't quit. There is no quitting. He says, when I fell, Christ stood me up. When I was weak, he made me strong. And in my weakness, everybody saw the strength and the glory of God. There's no downside. There's no downside. I really like this passage. Probably most of the time in Acts, we see Paul as an evangelist, as I mentioned. But we get a unique picture here of Paul the pastor. One, you know, how important it is to be a leader like that, and shepherd God's people. And I think it's important to point out that he never lost focus on who Jesus Christ was. That he understood he, need, he needed to recognize that, and I think this is important for all of us, sometimes we can lose focus in our service to God and we forget we're sons and daughters of the living God first. Before I'm a pastor or an under-shepherd, before you're a pastor, an under-shepherd, an elder, whatever you're serving, you're a son and daughter of the living God. And that's how he looks upon all of you. That's your first calling. His children. You're his children. Doesn't that give you rest? It gives me rest. I had a pastor, a good friend of mine, I was struggling with something one time in in ministry, and he, he sat me down, he says, son, Don't forget, you are the Son of the God Most High. I said, boy, how easy it is to forget that and think we have to be something we're not. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And even if it means sometimes we have to step out and suffer, means even if we have to step into suffering, we ought to do it. I love how Paul had sort of delivered this here. And, you know, look at even verse 21. He says he's testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks. You know, Paul didn't limit his message. He didn't limit his audience either, did he? He wanted to preach all of the word of God to all people from house to house. What's that tells us? Remember, in the church of Ephesians, in the church of Ephesus, they didn't have a building. Remember that? They they actually didn't meet in a building that way. They ended up going to the school of Tyrannus, right? Or Tyranny, as we know today. And they met at that school. Right? And Paul would teach because Paul would work. He would take his break from noon to probably four or five like that and then go back to work. He'd work like eight in the morning to noon and then work from like, you know, whatever, five o'clock on to 10 o'clock at night doing his leather making, right? Tent making. But during that block of hour, he was there every day for three years faithfully, the thousands or hundreds of hours that he went line by line teaching the Old Testament, the Word of God that way, and teaching them about Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Well, I think you can, can't you? Because you're sitting under the Word. But that's what it was like. But every day, can you imagine? Not just Wednesdays and or Sundays, but every day being able to come in and for four hours just sit under the word that way. I think it's beautiful. You know, I think it speaks to the fact that this church, because they lacked a building, it didn't stop them. They met in houses and they went house to house. Probably the term elder here, the, you know, the way we see elders and overseers in church, I would say that probably... These were pastors over house churches, if I could say it that way, but represented elders sort of in the Ephesian body that way. It reminds me a little bit of John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. In some ways, you say, well, Lord, how'd you make that jump? How'd you make that leap? Because as we look down at verse 22 and 24, he's going to talk about his changes, tribulations. Things weren't going the way he thought they were going to go. And we'll probably, we'll probably stop at verse 24 for our time today. We still have a little bit of time, but I, I want to take some time to build this out. And what I mean about John the Baptist is I just made this sort of leap from this house church and it looked like things are good. But Paul, he needed to explain to these men and women, well, specifically men here because it was the leaders and it wasn't the rest of the body, so forgive me the men here. When he was speaking to these men, he wanted them to understand this is what it looks like when you step out. Count the cost. Understand what you're getting into. Live it out. There's no going back. The cross before you, the world behind you. No going back. He wants them to understand it. So let's look at verses 22 through 24. And I think we'll close here today. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, every city Paul went. He got reminded of this. By the Holy Spirit. Saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. I love Paul. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. So that I may finish. Circle that word my. It's my race. With joy. Underline that. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, sometimes we pray. I don't know about you. I pray, Lord, show me what you have. Give me revelation. Show me your future. But if God gave me a revelation, hey, you're going to be in chains and tribulations. In every city I went, hey, man, I don't want that revelation. Because I don't want to know. Because what will happen if I know? I'll be afraid. maybe Maybe I wouldn't finish. You ever wonder if maybe that's why God, out of actually his grace, doesn't show us everything that's going to happen. Because if we knew we'd be so so overwhelmed, we might turn away afraid. It's actually his parental love, his his giving to us to not show us sometimes, God, I need to know. No, you don't. And you don't want to know. You think you do, but you don't want to know. Paul didn't even have all the details here. But that's why it reminds me of John the Baptist, because John the Baptist, he was a forerunner. He was a type of Elijah that was prophesied. And he was what? He was one that said, There's Jesus. And he pointed the way to Jesus, right? And then he found himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, in jail, in prison, because he stood in the gap and he stood on what was right. Adultery is wrong. You can't turn around and marry your your brother's wife, Philip. It's wrong. You know, you can't marry Philip's wife, excuse me, Herod. You can't do that. Well, John, it could cost you your life. So be it. The word doesn't change regardless of our circumstances. Our God doesn't change regardless of our circumstances so he turns and he's in jail but what does he do I I, just like any of us he wonders I mean Jesus Christ is physically manifested he's walking on the earth and he's in jail a few days now and he's going huh I wonder if he's coming for me right wouldn't you have thought that if you're John the Baptist and you're in jail and you know it's Messiah it's his cousin too he knew him you know he's familiar that way family right Elizabeth's son right Mary's cousin like that right What, what you coming I get it, a couple days, all right. But four days now? What's he do? Well, he heard Messiah was in the area and he sent his disciples, John's disciples, to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about that? You know, when I was teaching Matthew and we talked through that, I began to think about that. John knew who he was. It wasn't a question. Maybe it's a little bit of doubt. Are are you Messiah? Are you going to save? I mean, Asa'ana in the Hebrew, Hosanna? What's that mean? Save now? Now? Like right now, I'm in prison. Save now? But John the Baptist, he he knew, he began. I I have no doubt in my mind, and, and I know we'll see him in heaven, that he understood that when he was in the will of God, he's invincible until such a time when God is ready to bring him home. When God is done with the work, his race. Remember Paul just talked about that? My race. When he's run his race and his race is done, you don't want to stay. Whether it's for your children, whether it's for anybody, none of that matters. You were born to glorify the living God. That's where you're to go. You're to be with Jesus. And when that time comes, you don't want to be anywhere else but other than the perfect will of God. And he's not afraid of that. And so I thought, of, I thought of Paul when he's writing this. It's, it's so, it's Pauline, it's Paul. And he could have responded any other way, couldn't he have? I mean, I, I thought in my flesh, I said, what would I have said? Well, well God, don't you know how I serve you? I mean, I'm, I'm doing what you ask, Lord. What about what I'm doing? Am I not doing this? Or, or look, look, look how I'm needed here, God. <laughs> Did Paul say any of those things? Not so, right? No. Paul didn't let it trouble him. Look at what he said. None of these things move me. He gave it all over to God. It's possible, friends. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling, son, daughter, dad, mother, brother, sister, cousin, relative, husband, wife, whatever is at anemone right now between God and is not in right relationship, you can let it go. Paul did it. Because Paul didn't count his life valuable that way. He realized he was a servant of God. And he realized that God would take care of this church in Ephesus. He loved them. They were his children. He knew, Paul knew, God, you're going to do a better job than I could. None of these things moved me. Uncertainty didn't move Paul. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He couldn't see the future, just like all of us. Our anxiety comes from what? A lack of control. That's where anxiety comes from, a lack of control. We don't know what's going to happen, and we worry. Maybe that's just me. Sorry. I think that's all of us, isn't it? He wouldn't be moved regardless. Verse 22 says, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. I want you to see this because I want you to know it's possible. This is possible. He didn't know what was going to happen to them to the elders at that church, to the flock at that church. You may not know what's going to happen to your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your significant other, whoever it may be. You may not know, but God does, and he's going to protect them. He's going to sustain them. Who's been sustaining Paul this whole time? Remember, he raised up just in chapter 19. We just read it at the close of 19. He raised up a city clerk. To do what? To break up the riot. To save Paul's life because they could have done what? They could have come against Paul and tried to kill him there again. Notice I said again. How many times did they try to kill Paul? Every city he went, death threats, right? But he was not moved by any of this. He wasn't set off track by danger, but he was willing to lay down his life for the gospel and the grace of God. Verse 24 says, nor do I count it my life dear to myself. You see, Paul began to understand the truth in Jesus' teaching that we were to look to his second coming, the parousia, the parousia, his return. In Luke chapter 17, verse 33, Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Paul didn't count his own life dear to him. He compared, he compared his walk with God And found the walk with God more victorious, more rewarding, and more joyful than anything in this earth. Including any of his family relations, including anything. He put God first. He knew it. He understood what Jesus said. To me, that's real discipleship. That's perfect love. God is in control. How freeing is that? I mean, it's a reminder for all of us as we walk out of here this morning. How freeing is that? That you're not bound by any of that. That as you lay it down, you can finish your race. Not my race, not her race, not his race, your race. You know, Paul thought of himself as an athlete here, right? He had a race to finish, and nothing was going to keep him from finishing that race with joy. Paul says, It's my race. He didn't compare it with anybody else's race. He wasn't comparing his walk with anybody else's walk. He wasn't looking at anybody else's equipment and wishing he had different equipment, you're right, using the metaphor or the simile of an, of an athlete, because the Holy Spirit, gifted, he's gifted each one of us, hasn't he? And as I said, we're closing here, and I'll, I'll leave you with this comment. Something just to think about. It's interesting, Paul had death in mind here. Because as you know, tradition. He doesn't die for several years from now. He doesn't die for several years. But he, but he had it in his mind. He was considering it. And I think it was because he was, remember, reminiscing. He was recounting this to the elders. And I think he was thinking back on his life. And he began to think, I want to live a life that's worth dying for. That's what I want to do. Every one of us is going to die unless we're raptured out first, which I'm all about the rapture plan. But every one of us is going to die if we're not raptured out first. And every one of us has got to give an account for our lives. And every one of us is going to be asked that question, did we live a life that was worth dying for? It's a worthy challenge to any disciple. And I got something I want to leave you with. Are you preaching a gospel that's worth dying for? Are you preaching a gospel that feels good, that itches ears? Are you preaching a gospel of compromise to attract others? Are you preaching the one, what's gospel mean? Good news. Are you preaching the true good news of Jesus Christ? That's the gospel we're dying for. Amen? Let's stand. Now we're gonna have communion. So we're going to pray and I'm going to ask us all to stand and I want to, I want to do something special here because I believe that God God's leading us to do this. If there's any of us here that have had something in our lives that's been holding us back, maybe it's a fear of dying. Maybe it's a fear of an illness. As we pray this, I want to ask every one of you and the worship team can come up by the way. I want to ask every one of you to lay it down on his feet, just like Paul did. Paul had to get right. Paul had to come to the point where he, were, he understood his life was worth dying for. If that's you here, lay it down right now. We're going to pray a prayer to God, and then after we pray that prayer, I'd like you to be seated, and then we're going to pass out the elements. We're going to take communion, and we'll take it together. And then we're going to walk out of here victorious this morning. We're gonna walk out of here knowing who our God is and what he's done. We're gonna walk out of here preaching a gospel that's worth dying for. Amen? Amen. We're not gonna play Christian. We're not gonna play church. We're gonna walk out of here thanking Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done in every one of our hearts. And if you don't know him this morning, don't you leave here without knowing and calling out on the name of Jesus Christ. Don't you walk out of here. You don't know what's gonna happen as you walk into that world. You don't know if you have another moment, another breath. And like I said, if you're here and you're backslidden or there's something going on or maybe you're just like, hey, man, I just came to visit. What's the deal? You're walking in. What did I get into? You got into the word of God. You got into your heart being set free. You got into the moving and washing of the spirit of God, the living God. Now let Bauer bow to let him work through us. Father God, we thank you this morning, Jesus. We love you, we proclaim you, we know you are the living God. And Lord, right now we ask, whatever it is, Lord, that we have been struggling with, God, things that I've been struggling with, God, I want to lay them at your feet. We want to lay it down at your feet, just as Paul did, Lord. He told those elders, look at how I lived. It was an example, and he drew them to you, Jesus. God, I pray right now you'll draw us to you. Pray to yourself through your word, just as you did, that you would remove any of those roadblocks in our hearts, in our minds, God, that we would come willingly, that we would be set free, and that we would breathe for the first time, God, without holding on to anything, our anxieties, our worries, our fear, our uncertainty, our unknowing, all the things that could have kept Paul back, but didn't, God, because of your Holy Spirit. We want to just lay it down before you, God, right now, And Lord, if there is somebody that doesn't know you, God, I pray right now that they will ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Lordship and salvation, a real relationship, Jesus. We need that right now, God. We can't do this world without you. We can't live, Lord. We can't take another breath without you. Lord, we don't want to. And if you hear this on the radio, if you're hearing this on the website, if you call into the church, we want to get a Bible in your hand, we want... We want to talk to you about baptism. We want to talk to you about discipleship. Jesus loves you right where you are. You don't have to do anything to get good enough to come into heaven. He meets you right where you are. He cleanses you right where you are. Respond to this invitation today. And for us that are brothers and sisters in Christ, he's given us an invitation to lay it down. Let's do that right now. Lord, we get our hearts right before you as we take communion, just as we think as Paul was saying his farewell address to these Ephesian elders, Lord, how you said your farewell address in the last supper to your apostles, how you told them that, Lord, it was your body that would be broken. Lord, it would be your blood that would be shed for the new covenant, for the remission of sins. And Lord, how we were to continue to teach and preach that until you come for us. Oh, glory. Glory and honor be to you, our living God. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed. Amen and hallelujah. Have a seat. We're going to have uh, the ushers come up. We'll hand out communion. And we'll take this together. So wait till you get both of the elements. We'll take it together. And we'll praise the living God. You guys can play a song. God.
0: God. Yeah. All together, wonderful to me.
2: Paul, First Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 23. And I love how Paul writes this. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. For we receive from the Lord that which we also receive today. On that same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken. For you do this in the remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Life is in the blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's partake together. Let's stand and pray and we'll conclude our, our time there together. And we'll get out and we'll be about our Father's business. Amen? Lord God, thank you again, Jesus, in all ways that you've brought us here. Thank you that we are able to partake of this supper, Lord. A supper in which you freely died to give us, God. Your body that was broken for us, Lord. Your blood that was shed that we would enter into this new covenant, God. Nothing we could have ever done to earn this. Nothing we could have ever done to strive for it. But Lord, it cost you dearly. It cost you your life the very God of this universe, of this whole world. Jesus, you came down to be broken for your creation, your sinful creation at that, (laughs) that we would be forgiven for all sins, past, present, and future, God, even future, to be set right with you. Thank you, Jesus. There are no words that can ever express our love enough what you've done for us, Lord. Our reasonable service is a life surrendered to you. Thank you for that calling, God. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. I love you all. God bless you all. And I'll see you all on Wednesday as the Lord should lead, unless he comes and takes us home sooner.